Hi, this is Don Sheree Wilkerson, and I pastor Vuk Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. I hope it encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. Let's check out the message. This collection that we're in now called Changes, the last few weeks, Rich has been bringing such a powerful word week after week. If you have not heard those messages, I just wanna encourage you, that's your next stop. You gotta check out all those messages and catch up. And last week he shared on the title, The Place of Change. How many of you enjoyed that message? Come on, let's put our hands together. It was, it was incredible. It was life-changing. I'd never seen the scripture that he shared from in Mark chapter one that way. And today we find ourselves in Mark chapter two and Mark chapter two is good. I love this chapter. I know that God's gonna speak to you. Let's start from the beginning. It says this in verse one, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof over Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all, this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Come on, put your hands together for the God that we serve. He's a miracle working God and today, I believe He's gonna speak to your situation, to the impossibilities of your life, to the questions that you're facing today. See, we're going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And I wanna speak today to you on the thought, the companion of change. You can't change alone. Let's talk to the one who can make the change today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray right now that everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, would sense your presence with them. They'd know they're not alone. Lord, that people would return to their first love today. Lord, that we would fall in love with you again. Let us see you for who you truly are. We love you. You're the companion of change and we want you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of you church said, Amen. Amen. Well, you know, as I was thinking about this thought, the companion of change, um, I was just thinking about what it's like to get a little bit older. There comes a point in your life where you get old enough to actually retell stories to people that you think you're telling them for the first time, and they've already heard it. 
This happened this week with my husband, Rich. I was telling him this story and I thought I was filling him in on something and I was just telling it in detail till like only family can. He stopped me and said, Don Shree, you already told me this. But he does the same thing with music. Are there any people, maybe you're watching today that when you find a song that you love, you just wanna play it over and over and over. Come on, is anybody with me? Over and over. Okay, I'm actually not with you. Uh, That's not my style, but that's Rich's style. And so every month in our house, there's usually like one song that, that is on repeat and that I learn every single lyric because when Rich finds a song that he loves, he never gets sick of it. He just listens to it over and over again. When it comes to the Bible, the more we read the same text, the more it is not the same. The Bible is the living word of God. And so it's not just a repeat where we know everything that's gonna happen and we know every bit of insight, but no, the living word of God brings revelation to our individual journeys right here, right now. So this story that we just read, you may have heard it a lot of times, but the thing that I love about our VU community is that I know that there are some people that this is your very first time to hear this story of Jesus encountering this man while surrounded by a crowd. I like this story. It's intriguing. It's confrontational. It's dangerous. It's interesting. It's inspiring. It's heartwarming. Jesus is at his friend's house and the house is packed. Like there are no parking places left. People are filling the streets. The crowds have gathered and it's not just his family and his friends anymore, but the crowd has surrounded the house. So much so that a man who is paralyzed is carried by his friends and they can't get into the house. So they have to lower him through the roof just so he can reach Jesus. This is quite a spectacle. Little does this man know that his life is about to change forever. Now, now the usual people, the usual companions surround this man in this plot. Any great story has lovers and haters. And this story, it's got the lovers and it's got the haters. And I wanna focus on the good news first because come on, let's be honest, we all should be lovers. I I wanna focus on the people that loved this man enough to pick him up and take him to Jesus. How many of you are thankful for the people in your life that loved you enough to pick you up and carry you to Jesus? Verse three in Mark chapter two says this, some men came, those are the lovers, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now these four men, to be honest with you, we don't know much about their life. We we actually don't know much about their relationship with the guy that they're carrying. We don't even know if they're friends. It doesn't say that they're relatives. It doesn't say that they've been buddies for life. It just says that some men decided to pick him up. So there were some men that might've just been on their way to see Jesus. Maybe they had never met him before, but they were moved by compassion, love in their heart for their fellow man. 
Maybe one of them picked up a corner and realized, I can't carry this man alone. So he shouted to some people around him and said, hey, will you give me a hand? And his sacrifice motivated them and moved them not to just be spectators. So maybe they all picked up a corner and they started to walk towards where Jesus was. They each took their corner now. And that day, homes were built where they had an outside staircase. It was outside the home and it led up to the roof. And then oftentimes the roofs were made of straw and mud that was thatched together. If it was a nice house, it had some tile. And so we know that because the men couldn't get inside the house, they probably went up those stairs with that stretcher, with that bed, and they're carrying them up the stairs. But now there's a problem, there's an obstacle, there's the roof. And so I can just see them. This is dangerous, this is daring, this is messy. And they start digging through the roof. There's probably mud falling down on people. People will probably shouting at them saying, what are you doing? But they just keep going out of their faith. This is hard work, tearing through a ceiling. But this is a physical picture of faith. Faith is action. Faith is not simply hearing, but faith is doing. And when you decide to step into faith, not just watching today, but actually walking out your faith on Monday and on Tuesday, let me tell you, there's a powerful result waiting for you out of your faith. Come on, if you believe it today, why don't you put your hands together wherever you are. This is the result. Verse five, Jesus sees their faith. And he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse five says, when Jesus saw their faith, now we've heard this preached before. It's not referring to all five of them. It's actually specifically referring to these four men. Their faith had an impact on the man's spiritual walk that they are carrying. See, Jesus's first mention of faith is not linked to feelings. It's linked to action. They decided that they weren't just gonna be a part of the crowd, but they were gonna actually carry someone else's burden. The thing I love about VU Church is that our community is made up of people who decide to say, I'll just grab a corner. Even this Sunday, today at Jungle Island, there are hundreds of servant leaders. You showed up to carry your corner. You showed up at the crack of dawn and you said, I can't do it all, but I can do something. And my faith is gonna bring a powerful result. More than I could dream, more than I could imagine. No, I can't bring the change. I can't make the change but I can carry someone to the one who can do what I can't do. Every single team at our church is a corner carrier. In fact, today we have the Connect Corner. It's actually a spiritual biblical name. They're holding down their corner. I wanna encourage you, live your life where you inspire others to carry a corner. Live your life that as others see you carry your corner, they wanna get in there and carry it with you. They wanna get in there and cast the net with you. They wanna get in there and serve and love and give and sacrifice and sow seeds like they never have before. Why? Because they see you carrying your corner. Galatians says, carry each other's burdens and in this very way, fulfill the law of Christ. That's what they're doing. Do I wanna be comfortable or do I wanna grab a corner? 
But right now, I just want to jump to the actual point of the story. Because the point of the story, it's not these four men. They are not the focus of this dialogue that we see in Jesus's friends' home. We can focus on them, and yes, there are some things to take away, but this is not the purpose of Mark's writing in Mark chapter two. We have to go to the context. You see, Mark is writing a biography. He, he is exposing the inner workings of the life of Jesus. He's showing us that Jesus is a man of action. What is Mark's point in telling this story in Mark chapter two? Well, what we have to understand in Mark's day is that when he was writing, it was a very dangerous and dark time for those that had decided to follow Jesus. Mark is writing to Jews and Gentiles, but predominantly Gentiles. And these Gentiles are living in a Roman civilization where because they won't participate in the social events of that day, they have been marginalized. They have been ostracized. They have been pushed aside. And even their brothers and sisters in Christ have failed them and have betrayed them in some instances. Mark knows that the early church is hurting. And Mark is saying, you know what I'm writing about? One man. I'm writing about the only companion of change. Yes, there are lovers and there are haters in every story, but there is only one changer and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to look to him for all the insight that you need to live your life. I want you to look to him for all the strength that you need, for all the inspiration that you need, for all the joy that you need, for all the perseverance that you need, for all the fortitude that you need. Look to Jesus. Mark is not playing games. There's not a lot of his commentary in this book. Instead, he writes what Jesus said. He writes what Jesus did. Jesus is a man of action. And we learn so much about our life as we choose to look to him. The point of the story is not to be like the four men. The point of the story to Mark is not to watch out for the cynics. The point of this story in Mark chapter two is to pay attention to what Jesus says and pay attention to what Jesus does. This isn't a leadership lesson. This is about a divine connection. You can't teach this, you can only learn it. There's only one teacher. This is about an experience with Jesus. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? You know, at VU, if you do go to the Connect Corner, today they're, they're giving out WWJD bracelets. It's a beautiful thing. We can spot people all of our community with WWJD bracelets. It's a fun part of our community. And it just stands for, what would Jesus do? But before you can answer the question, what would Jesus do? You have to be able to answer the question, what did Jesus do? I have to know the scriptures for myself. I have to know how he lived his life. Hear me today. You need to know. And that's our focus today. We're gonna take the next few minutes to look at what Jesus said and what he did in this passage of scripture. My goal is that you walk away understanding that Jesus and Jesus alone is the true companion of change. Come on, if you believe that today, why don't you put your hands together wherever you are. We have a companion of change. See, the true companion of change, Jesus, first and foremost, discerns your heart. There's a spotlight placed on Jesus discerning people's heart 
in this text. You see it written clearly in verse eight. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does that fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Now, Jesus discerns the critical thoughts of the teachers of the law of that day that were present and witnessed him saying, son, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say that it took some time or that he had to have a conversation with them. They didn't say one word. The word of God says immediately he discerned the thoughts that were in their heart. Why did he do that? How was he able to do that? Well, we know that Jesus is the Word made flesh. And we also know that Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Here is Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, literally separating things, literally pointing his laser focus of his soul into others' hearts, discerning what they're thinking, discerning what their motivations are, discerning whether they have faith in him, discerning what is going on. Oh, come on, we serve a God that is able to know. Without any seeking, without any probing, without any conversation, this is who he is. He discerns the heart. But really, Jesus is discerning every single heart in the room. So we read in verse eight that he discerns the heart of the critics, but you just need to rewind the story and look closely at what he says and does. And it's very clear that he has already discerned the heart of every person in the room. Why would Jesus first discern the heart of the critic when there was a man in front of them who desperately needed a touch from God? No, far before he looked in the heart of the critic, he had already looked into the heart of the man before him who was unable to walk, who was laying on a cot and had to be carried. He's the savior. If someone is in need of saving, he's discerning and directing his love towards them. He's not distracted by the hater. He's lasered in on their need. He knows exactly what the man needs. He knows even more so than the man himself. The man comes in thinking that he needs one thing, but Jesus meets the man in the order of eternal priority. What was this man facing? Only Jesus knew. We're not told that part of the story. That's not for you and I to have to speculate. Only Jesus knew. But when we ask, what did Jesus say? He's a man of action. It makes it very clear that Jesus had discerned his heart. Jesus looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now notice a few things. He doesn't say, son, I forgive your sins. 
He doesn't say, son, your sins are forgiven right this moment. And he says sins, plural, almost being specific about certain things. You know, it's interesting because Jesus communicated in a way that was veiled, where he communicated what he needed to say, but he didn't fully reveal who he was in that moment. And his words are calculated and clear. Son, your sins are forgiven. We don't know if in that moment they were forgiven or if they had already been forgiven and that man just needed to hear those words spoken to him. Son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now, historically in that day, sin and sickness were linked. It was a belief in that day, that if you were sick, it was because of your own sin or the sin of your family. I can only imagine that maybe that man had waited so many years to be healed and he had repented so many times and he'd gone before the priest so many times and he had gotten to a place where everybody around him believed that it was because of something he did that put him on that cot. But Jesus clearly refutes that belief in the gospel. He makes it very clear that our sickness is not always linked to our sin, but maybe this man had believed what everybody else had spoken over him. And maybe before he got the ability to walk back, he needed to hear those words, son, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Maybe he had laid awake at night, night after night, year after year, going, God, what more can I do? What, what, what other steps can I take in my soul to make things right with you so that you will heal me? But maybe that was never the case. Maybe God had forgiven him. And that moment was Jesus looking into his eyes, discerning his heart, reassuring him that he could have established in his soul once and for all, you are forgiven. We do that, don't we? Man, we pray the sinner's prayer 800 times. Like, I just wanna make sure, like just in case I'm not, I'm not right. Like, I just wanna make sure when our salvation has been established, And we need to walk forward knowing we're forgiven, we're clean, we're a son of God, we're a daughter of God. I remember being baptized as a kid and I grew up in church and I heard about the grace of God, but there was this self-condemnation that even as I was in Long Island in a friend's pool in their backyard and my dad was about to baptize me, I was so nervous. God, I don't know if I'm right. Is there there anything? And there was this fear and there was this self-condemnation and we do that. We have sins in our past that we know that God has forgiven us of, but we won't forgive ourselves. And so he has set us free, but we haven't set ourselves free. And you need to hear it wherever you are today. If you have opened up your heart to God and you have surrendered your life to him, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Son, your future is not full of your past. You've been set free. You've been bought with a price. 1 John 3, 19 says, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. He knows. He knows what you're facing. He knows the guilt that you carry. He knows the stories that won't be shared with anybody else 
What you need to know about the God that you serve and the companion of change is that He discerns your heart. He knows every single part of you. We all wanna be known. Our deepest desire is to be fully known. I've been with Rich for 19 years. As many conversations as we've had, as many trips that we've taken, as many years and holidays that we've spent together, as much as I love him with all of my heart, I can never be fully known by him. My parents have known me my entire life but they don't know the future that God's prepared for me. My coworkers that I love and adore, they encourage me, but they don't fully know the things that I'm processing, the things that I'm working through. My friends, oh, they support me and they carry their corner and they point me to Jesus. But friend, no amount of girl talk can satisfy my soul or dig to the depths of what I feel and know. Only that is known by God. He knows you. Without a word, he discerns what you're facing, young man, as you're trying to provide for your family. He knows what you're facing, single parent, as you are asking God to lead your children, protect and provide. He sees you and he cares about your situation. Why do we hide the honest state of our heart? You look throughout the scriptures and this is one of the most beautiful things that Jesus does with so many that he encounters. He's a man of action. I mean, he discerns exactly what the woman at the well is feeling. He knows her past. He knows her heart without her even sharing one part of her story. He discerns that Judas is going to betray him and yet he still calls him friend. He discerns that Peter is going to deny him and yet he still brings him back for full and complete restoration. He discerns as he's passing by that Zacchaeus is not only intrigued, but his heart is open and so is his house. So he looks at him and he says, I'm going to your house today. He discerns the faith of the four men. He discerns that John the Baptist is in prison and is feeling disappointed and despondent. He discerns where your heart is today. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God, the companion to change? He discerns your heart. See, he's surrounded by people, but he sees hearts. The companion to change discerns your heart, but secondly, if you're taking notes, he brings freedom through his authority. Again, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. I love that he calls him son. Isn't that so reassuring? He walked in there probably fearful of what this man could say to him, but Jesus looks at him and immediately lets him know that he belongs. When you look at the Hebrew translation, the word is beni, and it means my son. Not just denoting love, but denoting authority. You're mine. You belong to me. You're safe in this space. You are my son. And if you're wondering what ticks the religious leaders off, it's this statement, son, your sins are forgiven, because this is truly a mind-blowing statement for any man to make. 
they are accusing him of blasphemy in their hearts because what you have to understand is even in when we, even when you study the theology of the day, the Jewish people didn't have any literature that said the Messiah would forgive sins. It said that he would come and bring a new government. It said that he would walk a sinless life. It said that he would defeat demons. It said that he would be the great judge, but they did not understand or expect that the Messiah himself would forgive sins. So when that is uttered out of his mouth, they're going, hey, we've never heard anything about this. You cannot be the one that is authorized to say and do this, but I can just see Jesus looking back at them like, you're not prepared for me. You cannot describe who I am. There is no definition to my power. There is no limit to what I know, to what I can do. I am here to turn the religious upside down with a message of hope and freedom and restoration that is found only in me. I am the only companion of change. I am the only companion of change and I have the authority. When you have a problem, you wanna go to the person in charge. You don't wanna mess around with people who can't make any changes. That's a waste of time. You wanna go to the person that is in charge. Recently, we celebrated my mom's birthday and we had a family dinner, just the family. But when I say just the family, I mean there are seven kids in my family. And we've got spouses and we've got grandbabies. And so we rented a private room to celebrate and love on my mom and my brother and I planned it. And when we got there, there was this stench. There was the strongest smell. And it smells like, yeah. well, I don't know how else to say this. It smelled like the restroom yeah, yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. A couple pregnant people in the room. Everybody's moving around trying to catch a whiff of fresh air. I went immediately to the manager. I said, sir, can you tell me what's going on? This is kind of an undeniable smell said, well, the septic tank, it's backed up and I can't get anybody here. And I said, oh, I wish I would have known. It's hard to eat spaghetti and meatballs while you're smelling the septic tank. These religious leaders are so full of religion and pride, they can't even smell the stench of their own sin. They're fully unaware that they need the Messiah just as much as every single person in the crowd. And because they are so focused on maintaining their own authority, their own control, they are unable to relinquish the authority of their lives to the one who truly stands in control. Hear me, friends. We learned a lot of lessons in 2020, but one of the things we learned is that we are not in control. Don't go back into 2021 thinking that all of a sudden you hold the wheel and that you are steering. There's only one person in charge. There's only one person who deserves the authority and his name is Jesus. He's the only companion who has the authority to bring change. Yeah, you got lovers. Yeah, you got haters. But there's only one changer. Who are you talking to? Who are you processing with? Who are you allowing to discern your thoughts? The paralytic is physically paralyzed. 
The scribes are spiritually paralyzed. Jesus came for both. Do the scribes even know they're in need of healing? I mean, imagine the feeling in that room. He's just forgiven this man of his sins, but he's still on the cot. Everybody just must have been watching in awe. Like, what is about to happen? Like, this is not the conclusion that we thought we were about to see. We're here to see something right now. They're blind to the deeper need that was actually already met. But Jesus sees their blindness. And so this is what he says in verse nine. He says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. Jesus says, my authority is not based on me physically healing this man. You know what's a lot harder than physically healing his body? Buying his eternal redemption, giving him forgiveness that only I am able to pardon. But he says, you know what? Just so that you know that I have the authority, watch this, get up walk, go home. You can feel Jesus's frustration. You guys don't get it. You don't understand what the real power is. You're so focused on the temporary. You're missing out on the eternal. You're so focused on the here and now. You're missing out on the more that is ahead. We do that still. I have all the compassion in the world for these people because that's me. I mean, think about it. You're in the courtyard today and you hear somebody got saved. You get excited. You clap a little bit. You shout. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. But somebody comes up to you walking and says, I came in here paralyzed and Jesus touched me and now I am fully healed. You're like, where is the news station? This needs to be a five-part Netflix series. We need to get the blogs to rewritten. Who can come around and hear this? Because this is a big deal but we've got the story flipped. What's big is the eternal. God cares about both, but he wants to make it clear to us as his followers, we don't live for the here and now. We live for the eternal. The companion of change always points our eyes to the more that is in front of us, not the little that we see in the here and now. See the true companion of change, number one, discerns your heart, number two, He brings freedom through authority. But lastly today, Jesus always creates a path home. I love the conclusion of of this encounter with Jesus, the man of action. Verse 11 says that Jesus looks at the man. Can't be known as the paralyzed man any longer. He's not paralyzed. Labels don't stick when it comes to Jesus. People may have labeled you. That's not who you are. You are who God says you are. You're his son. You're his daughter. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Verse 12 tells us he got up. He grabbed his mat and he walked out in full view of all of them. I wish I could have seen this. Why, Why does Jesus not let the man stay? 
Why does Jesus not throw like a party right then or right there for him? Why does Jesus wanna get him moving immediately? You know, Jesus should be the one that is ushered out before the crowd, but Jesus is making a way through the crowd for this man. Tells him immediately, not just to leave, but tells him, you need to go home. In other words, I want you to get out of this crowd. I want you to get on a path to purpose. I don't want you to hang around here and have to prove to the critics that your healing is legit. I don't want you to hang around here and get caught up as a fan. You're not my fan, you're my follower. You've had a touch from me. Now I'm not just touching you, but I am empowering you to walk out your God-given purpose. Jesus is saying to the man, I haven't just healed you. I have a hope in front of you. Now get up and get out of here. There's more for you than what is right here. You gotta keep moving. See, salvation, It's a one-time moment where you go from death to life. You go from darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. But that's not all that God has created for you. He's created a path home for you. He's created a journey in front of you. And He never meant for you to be saved and set free just so you could stay around the same people, just so you could fall into the ways of the crowd. No, He has a path that is different. There's not a lot of people on that path. There's not a lot of a crowd, but friends, it's the straight and narrow and it's full of joy and peace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying to this man, there's nothing left for you here. It's time for you to move. It's time for you to go. Some of you have surrendered your life to Jesus, but you feel stagnant. You feel stale. You feel stuck. Maybe it's because you're still in the crowd. You thought I forgot about the crowd earlier. No, the crowd is a major part of this story. And all throughout Mark, he highlights the crowd. But do you know that Mark doesn't show us one time where the crowd actually repents and turns to Jesus? After all the times they hear Him speak, after all the miracles that they witness, they are stuck, they are stagnant, they are apathetic. And the main component that we see, the characterization of the crowd in Mark 2, is they are are constantly an obstacle for people to get to Jesus. There's no change in them. There's nothing going on inside of them. They just showed up to spectate, entertain us. Let us see something new. What could happen today? But we don't want to apply it. And they surround Him and they obstruct others from getting to Him. Jesus did not want this man who had just had an encounter, had been healed from the inside out to get stuck in that quagmire. Instead, Jesus is saying, you gotta get going. I have a path for you. That's why we have the growth track. You can go today. You can decide I'm not going to be stuck in the crowd. I made a decision to follow Jesus. And that means that my feet are going to move. That means that my hands are going to pick up a corner. That means that I'm going to learn what Jesus said and what He did. If He's a man of action, then I want to be a man of action. It's time for me to grow. It's time for me to walk. It's time for me to get on the path homeward. Jesus knows where He's leading you. He will never save you and set you free just to leave you in your pit. He will always show you a way out. Excitement for Jesus, or even your proximity to Him, 
are not the same thing as having faith. Faith is choosing to move. Crowds stand, disciples move. Crowds observe, disciples, well, they decide to serve. Very good. Some of you have been set free, but you're not walking. Just wanna reiterate that. It's time for you to walk today. I've learned in my life that when I don't move right when Jesus speaks to me, oftentimes I never move. There are moments that Jesus gives us a way out of the crowd. And in those moments, we need to take that exit strategy and we need to take it seriously. And we need to not obey tomorrow or the next day. But friend, I'm speaking to somebody today. Today is your day. Today is your day to step out of the crowd. You know, over the last 21 days, we've been in prayer and fasting. And for me, there's a few things that I was fasting and one thing that I was abstaining and I decided to abstain from Instagram. I deleted that little icon off of my phone. And this has been something that I've done a lot over the years because it's frustrating to me how my thumbs, without me even knowing, go to this icon throughout the day. And that I'm scrolling before I've even made a conscious decision of what I'm doing. It's a problem. And I've struggled with it and I felt the pressure to be a part of it. And the 21 days came to an end and man, I felt so refreshed, not having this constant distraction in front of me that I came to a place in my life this past week where the 21 days ended and I said, you know what? I don't think I'm supposed to step back into the crowd yet. And in my life with Instagram, to be really honest, I've always just felt like this is my problem. Don't you, you're not disciplined enough. You don't have rule enough over like your time management or the way that you can do this. You should be able to do this. Everybody else seems to be able to manage this perfectly. But today I just thought, you know what? If I'm struggling this much with this, maybe there's somebody out there today that's struggling with it too. And maybe me sharing with you how I'm choosing to step out of the crowd for a time so that I can make some progress so that there can be some space in my brain. I don't wanna be on an IG, IV drip. I don't want my brain to be a computer algorithm. I wanna have the freedom where there are quiet moments that are not filled with other inputs from the crowd, where there are not hundreds, if not thousands of other beautiful, creative inputs when I actually need the Holy Spirit in that moment to discern what's going on in my heart to remind me that He has the authority to change me and to put my feet on a path homeward. And it's hard because obviously I'm gonna keep using IG to, to share the love of Jesus through our church, but I can do that without it being on my phone. There are ways for me to be able to be the influencer without being the one being influenced. And I know that right now, I don't know how long it'll last, I know God's calling me to step out of the crowd. I know that there's another voice that I need to learn to discern more. So I'm making that decision to push past the crowd. This man had to push past the crowd. Friends, there will come moments of conviction that if you do not respond to the Holy Spirit in that moment, you will never respond. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about leading you on a path homeward today, will you just decide that you're gonna do it? 
Will you decide like the men that you're gonna grab your corner and you're gonna put faith into action? He pushes his way toward through the crowd and heads home. No earthly companions can bring you to Jesus, but only Jesus can change you from the inside out. Jesus is a companion of change that knows what you need to change, has the power and authority to make the change, and then has the compassion to set you on a path homeward. He's closer than a friend. He doesn't take a corner, he takes the entire weight. He doesn't criticize, he empathizes. He doesn't put you on the popular what everybody else is doing route. He puts you on a path of purpose that is full of inspiration, creativity, and awe and wonder like you have never experienced from anyone else in your life before. He speaks to every single heart, no matter the state, whether you are carrying a corner and your arms are tired, whether you are the critic that is full of doubt, whether you are the man that is both paralyzed within his heart because of his past and paralyzed within his body, Jesus comes to every single one of us as the companion of change. I'm pregnant. I I am carrying my third child right now. And things are different because this is a baby girl. And I already know she's fiery because this one's been different. Now, last Sunday, we were at Jungle Island. It was one of the most special church services I've ever been in. And I knew last Sunday coming into church because I had read my little app. I'm getting caught up on how my baby is developing, what my baby girl is doing. I knew that this week was the week that she could hear for the first time. And as I walked into community, community is not a crowd. As I walked into community, the worship team began to lead worship. Some of the most powerful experiences I've had in the presence of God where He has discerned my thoughts, spoken His authority over my life and given me a path has been in a moment of worship. Don't check out during worship. Show up early for worship. Tune in for worship. And the worship team began to sing the song called The Blessing and it speaks promises of God from the book of Numbers, from Psalms. And man, I started to put my hand on my stomach as I started to sing these promises. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make His face shine upon you knowing that just this week, God opened up my baby girl's ears and that she gets to hear this promise spoken over her. The Lord go before you and behind you, all around you, and you're weeping and rejoicing. He is with you. He is with you. And man, three services, it was not enough for me to get to sing this promise over my daughter. But something's different this time about carrying a girl. Because as we began to sing, and your children and their children, I was reminded of what science tells us, that I know that in my baby girl's body, even right now as she is inside my womb, every egg that she will carry throughout her life, she already carries within her. Meaning that as I spoke the promises of God, blessings over my children and their children, in that moment, there was a physical representation of not just one generation, not just two generations, but my children's children were represented as I spoke that blessing over her. And it was a moment in the presence of God I will never forget 
where the Holy Spirit discerned my heart and said, you just keep carrying your corner. I have all the authority to take care of your daughter. I have all the authority to take care of your daughter's daughter and their children's children. You know what the amazing thing is? I came home, I journaled about it. I knew I wanted to share it with you this week. And then I had crew the next night. That morning I woke up, I told Rich the whole thing. He was like, whoa, really? I'm like, yeah, really? She has that going on right now. Like, it's amazing. We sat in crew, my cousin, Jennifer Hardcastle, who's been with this church, she helped plant it. She's in the crew with me. We start to share. She raises her hand. She says, God spoke to me this Sunday. She's pregnant also with a daughter. We're one week apart. She said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and reminded me as we sang about our children and our children's children, that my daughter carries evidence of future generations, even now within her womb as I carry her within my womb. I looked at her and I said, the thing that the Holy Spirit discerned in your heart, He was discerning in my heart at the same time. Rich looked at me in amazement. Don't you know if the Holy Spirit was doing that for two of us? He was actually doing it for thousands of us all at the same time, speaking what we needed to hear, discerning our thoughts, reminding us of our identity. Oh, we serve a powerful God. And He knows and He cares. And He's able to change our situation. Listen to me. My daughter's hearing will increase in accuracy as she gets closer and closer to being in my arms. She will know my voice far before she sees my face. I know this. Wyatt, my first son, came out screaming like crazy. That should have been a hint of things to come. (laughs) They put him on my chest as soon as he was born. I started to speak to him. He stopped. He knew me. I don't have to see Jesus face to face to know his voice. I can learn to discern his voice in my life. Every single step of the journey home until I actually see Him face to face. And when I see Him face to face, I wanna know His voice so well. I wanna know His voice for decades to come. I wanna have leaned into His voice, not the voice of the crowd, not the voice of the critic, not even the voice of people that love me, but I wanna lean into the voice of the companion of shame. Because He's the only one who can change me. And He's the only one who can change you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe consider rating the podcast and share it with a friend. It really makes all the difference. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.